Today we are in the middle of a brand new series. This is our second week of the new rules of love, dating, and sex. We start a relationship series in the month of February. That's typically our pattern. And so we started one last week. Now, as we dive into the message, I want you to know that you can download the app. And if you want to get some digital message notes, the the fill-in-the-blank notes, we don't print them out anymore, but you can go into the app and you can fill in the blanks as you follow along. So you simply download the app, and uh, the way to get there is just enter in the church TX, and then it'll pull it up, and you can download it. You can follow along with the digital message notes. Also, I told you last week that we were going to have a way for you to submit your questions for week number four's uh, relationship topic. So so many of you have got a topic or a question or an answer that you want in regards to relationships. Maybe it's marriage, maybe it's sex, maybe it's dating. Whatever it is, if you go into the app, there's a place for you to fill it out and ask the question anonymously. And then in the fourth week, Phyllis and I are going to get up here and we're going to answer your questions and really dive into some of the things that you want to know that maybe this series didn't actually answer for you. And so you can go into the app and do that. Now, someone might ask me, hey, Pastor, why are we spending four weeks talking about a series that's primarily geared towards single people? I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a valid question, especially with the church of so many married people. And I would answer like this. For the four years that we have been here, I have primarily talked in regards to relationships from the vantage point of what I am, which is a married person. And so I'll talk about relationships and marriage, and, but one of the things I haven't done since we've launched the church is really spend time talking about relationships in the eyes or through the eyes of someone who is single, someone who is dating. And so my desire was this, let me really talk about things that I thought were common sense, Things that I thought, well, didn't everybody know that? And, and really, we raising up a church full of young people, teenagers. We had over 60 of them meet last week at their uh, we, uh, monthly big rally night at the Leadership Academy. We packed out the Leadership Academy. And, and, and one of the things that I want to do is teach the youth and then the young adults and the young people and maybe the older people that are dating some things that I thought was common sense, but really, it's not so common. But the beautiful thing is this, that as a married person, you don't have to check out. You say, hey, listen, I'm going to listen because there are things that you struggle with in your marriage. Maybe you just got married. Maybe you've been married for a long time and you've been having these challenges. You've hit some brick walls. You've hit some obstacles in this series. I really believe you're going to be able to identify some of the things that have caused problems in your marriage. So really, it's for everyone just with a bent towards single people. Now, as a person for us... And and individuals, we talked last week about this question, and I asked this question, are you who the person you're looking for is looking for? So that's what we asked last week. Are you who the person you are looking for is looking for? Because oftentimes in dating, uh, the mentality, which we talked about last week, is if I can just find the right person, everything will be all right. And we talked about it last week. That's the right person myth. The problem with that thinking is this, that if I find the right person, everything's going to be all right. But not only are you thinking that, the person you're looking for is thinking the same thing. So you have two people thinking and believing on this myth that if I find the right person, the one, the one who I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life with, everything is going to be all right. 
And we know that that's simply not true, that it's not just about finding the right person, it's about becoming the right person. Can I get an amen? It's about becoming the right person. It's about developing relationship skills. It's about developing habits. It's about developing character in my life. See, the problem with the right person myth is that you thought as a married person, if I find the right person, everything will be all right. So what that means is that when I find that right person, they're going to be kind and I'm going to be kind. They're going to have compassion and patience and love and gentleness and all the things that we want. And the truth is neither one of the people worked on it. They just thought, if we have chemistry, it'll all be all right. So we got into relationships as married people, and we said, well, we got chemistry. Well, have you worked on the relationship? No, I hadn't worked on the relationship. Why? Because I got chemistry. Well, what do you mean? What's chemistry? We stay up till three in the morning, and we talk on the phone. And it is so good that when I, as the woman, try to get off the phone, my man says, oh, no, baby, just keep talking. Oh, but baby, you got to go to work. No, 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 baby, you just keep talking. You are the wind beneath my wings. They love me so much they don't even need rest. Why? Because there's this chemistry. I think about him all the time. He thinks about me all the time. I'm physical and it feels good and maybe the sex is good and you've got this relationship, but it's not built on a relationship. It's really built on chemistry. And then the challenge is you go into the marriage and you find out that you hadn't been working on the relationship, you've been working on chemistry, and then you realize you're both in debt up to your eyeballs. You realize he's addicted to things that he didn't tell you about. You realize that neither one of you built the character you need to honor and cherish and to love one another. And now this chemistry begins to die and the marriage is a mess. Why? Because we believe this myth that says, if I find the right person, everything will be all right. And what we know is that your past sneaks into your present and starts to destroy your future. All the married people, you know what I'm talking about. Your past sneaks into the present right now, and it begins to destroy your future. All the things that you did when you were single now begin to deteriorate the relationship you wanted your entire life. Single people, you need to listen to me. you got to know this. You're present right now. What you're doing right now, what you do today, what you do in this moment, it's going to impact your future. And then what we see many times is married people, they spend a year planning the wedding. I'm going to do all the details that I need to do to plan for this this wedding, but yet they spend years building habits, years uh, doing things and getting addictions and picking up baggage that would destroy their marriage once they were married. And they thought, listen, if I find the right person, everything will be all right. And the truth is this, it's not about finding the right person, it's about becoming the right person. And then last week in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13, verse 4 through 7, we talked about the things that we needed to become as we are becoming the right person. And so I want you to go back. If you didn't listen to it, you need to go back. Go back and listen to the things that you've got to become so that you will attract the right person, so that you will be the person that attracts the person that you are looking for. Go back and listen to the podcast. Watch the video. This morning, I want to start with the verse that we ended with last week. Last week. How many are with me? How many are with me? All right. You're with me. We're going to dive in. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. So let's dive in. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11 says, When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, and when I became a man, or I like to say an adult, I put the ways of childhood behind me. 
So we ended with this verse last week. So the point is, thinking of childhood, the childhood thinking, we put it behind us. The actions of childhood, we've got to put behind us. The ways of childhood, we've got to put behind us. And we talked last week about so many of us have the mentality of a child, the, the children's stories that we read that says, if they could just get together, the guy and the girl, they will live happily ever after. I mean, no, that's a fairy tale. That's Disney. That's not reality. And so we've got to say, I'm going to put away the childish things and make sure that I am becoming the person that I want to be so that I can attract the right person. And this morning, listen, I'm going to talk specifically to men. I'm going to talk to you about how to put away childish things, how to put away the childhood things that have plagued our life. Now, women, let me just tell you, take a deep breath, take a breath. Okay, breathe out. Okay, good. So you could, you could get like, okay, I'm going to check out. You, you take a nap. I wouldn't recommend it, but you can. I may call you out if I know your name. So, so you could check out a little bit in the fact that I'm going to talk specifically to men. But what I would encourage you is this. And, and listen, this is probably not going to be the funniest message I've ever taught. So it's, it's you know, even throughout the week, what, what my goal was, God, I, I just want you to impact people's lives. Can we talk about truth in the context of your word and help men live as how men should live? And so now, men, let me just tell you, I'm not picking on you. I'm a man. I struggle with the same things you struggle with. But what I am going to do, and listen to me, men, is I'm going to tell you some things that I have learned that have revolutionized my life and some things that if you will take hold of the truth of God's word, I promise you this, not only as a single man will it change your future married, but marriage, but as a married man, it will change your marriage right now. And so I'm going to talk to us in the context of how do we view women from a biblical point of view? How do we see women the way that God wants us to see women? And whether or not you're dating them is irrelevant. It's not just the women that you date that you need to have this perspective of your future wife. Really, we need to have God's point of view on every woman. Can I get an amen? <clears throat> and all the women said. Woo, that sounded good. Do it again. All the women said. Amen. amen. Sounds good. And all the men said amen. amen. Come on, man. Oh, he's going to tell me off. No, no, no. Come on, all the men said amen. amen. I'm going to teach you how to have a godly relationship because that's the core desire of every man, isn't it? Like we want to have the relationship that causes us to be elevated in this world, that the people in the world would say, man, what's going on in that man's life? What's going on in their marriage? Because that's not what happened, is happening in my marriage, and I want to see what it takes to have that kind of marriage, that we can be an example to the world. Divorce rate doesn't have to be the same in the church as it is in the world. Can I get an amen from everyone? Amen. Doesn't have to be that way. But as the church, we can set the standard and we can say, listen, God, how do you view women? That's how I want to view women. And it's really countercultural. Goes against the grain of society. See, women are viewed and presented and talked about and sung about as a commodity in our society. And, and what you say, well, what's a commodity? A commodity is something that is bought, sold, or traded. Something that I use it, and when I'm done with it, I just simply discard it. When I'm using it and I'm done with it, I trade it in for something else. I upgrade it when I'm done with it. And the problem with society right now is this is the view that culture portrays for us as men that is normal. Can I tell you that's not normal? 
That is not God's view of women. Women are not a commodity. And regardless of what culture says, regardless of how marketing portrays women, and it does, because right now in marketing, this is what it really tells us as men to do with women. Take me, use me, do whatever you want with me, and then trade me in for another. That's the mentality that we receive or the mindset that we get from culture. Take me, use me, do whatever you want with me, and then trade me in for another. See, we listen to the songs, we watch the movie, we watch the sitcom on television, and the message that we're getting is take me, use me. Do whatever you want with me and then trade me in for another. When you go to that website, the imagery that we're seeing, the message that we're getting is this, take me, use me, do whatever you want with me, and then trade me in for another. And consequently, what's happening is we are raising up a society of men who act and think like little boys. That women are nothing more than just a commodity. And I want to change the way that we think about the single people. You maybe didn't know that, but right now from here on, you're going to say, now I know. Women are not a commodity, and, and we have to understand that though it flies in the face of our culture now, that's not something that's new. When this was first talked about, when Jesus brought this on the scene in conversation and through light of the Scripture, we saw women used and viewed and treated like a commodity in the first century. That when Jesus spoke the words that we're going to read in just a moment, they were revolutionary to the society that he spoke them to because in that day, the Romans and the Greeks, they viewed women as a commodity. They were not equal to men. In fact, they didn't have rights at all. And if you were a Roman, you would have slaves. And the richer you are, you would have more slaves. And the more slaves you had, you would have more women slaves. And with the women slaves, you could do anything you wanted to with them sexually, physically. You could sell them. You could kill them. It didn't matter. They were your personal property. Women really were a commodity, and women were some of the lowest of lows in the fact of life. They were an epidemic back in that day. There was infanticide, so the Romans, and they, they didn't want children, and women least of all. They didn't want girls, so this is what they would do. They would actually throw the little girls that were just born into the river. They would set them on the side of the road, and they would let them die because they had no value for life, much less little girls. And so when we read the context of the scripture, when we hear the words of what Jesus speaks, it flies in the face of culture. Now today, we would never even think of that, but back then, that was commonplace. We can't even imagine or fathom that kind of mentality that is portrayed on women. And Jesus' words were so revolutionary, so life-giving, so amazing that women would begin to flock to little churches all over and begin to see how men were created to, to treat women. They would flock there and say, oh my gosh, I am loved, I am accepted, I am valued, I am honored. And Christian men begin to raise the standard and the men around in society would say, well, you're treating women differently. Yes, because we serve a different master. That this woman right here that we have been degrading and treating as a commodity is not a commodity at all. This woman right here is a daughter of the king. 
And look at John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus, he starts off, he says this new command, this revolutionary idea, this perspective that has not been taught before, I want you to know, is to love one another. Now, we think of it in the context, well, of course we're going to love one another. We're all equal. We look at each other as living human beings, but back then, they were not equal. And so when he said love one another, this would have been revolutionary. Jesus, you mean I'm to love the slave as I am the free? Yes. Jesus, I'm to love women just like I love men? Yes. I'm to treat them and honor them the same respectfully, with dignity, with honor? Yes. To give equal honor, to give equal love, to to treat them as daughters of the king, as women that have value, not only a little bit of value, but great value. And then look at what he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Love one another. Love one another by this, by what? The fact that you give this kind of love to everyone. Not just to those who you think deserve it, but to everyone. Look at what it says. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Including women, Jesus? Yeah, including women. Everyone, everyone. I mean, come on, we're supposed to honor them, we're supposed to respect them, we're supposed to treat, treat them in, in the way that we treat others. Yes, that's exactly it. It's revolutionary. So you know what that means to us? Listen, guys, when you go to the gym, when you go to the grocery store, when you go out to play, wherever it is that you play, when you go to work, whatever it is, every woman you come in contact with, you're to treat them with love and respect and honor and dignity. You don't check them out from head to toe and look at them as some kind of commodity, something to be bought sold or traded, you look at them with dignity, with honor, with respect, and you say, I'm going to value you as a person. Why, that, the, the world looks at women as a commodity. But he's saying, listen, I want you to love them with respect and be honorable. I want you to love them with a new kind of love. Ephesians 5.25, Paul comes along. Look at what Paul says. He says, husbands, go out, go all out in your love for your wives. You're single. You say, well, I'm not married. Well, you will be married. Hopefully in the future you're going to get married. Check it out. I'm going to get to the point in just a second. But he says, love for your wives. Go all out for your wives. All out for your wives. Love them. Do whatever it takes to make them feel loved. And I love the message translation. Exactly as Christ did for the church. I mean, really? Christ died for the church. I mean, come on, Paul. I mean, you're telling me that I need to love my wife in such a way that I'm going to live in such a way that I would die for her? And Paul's saying, exactly. He says this, a love marked by giving, not getting. And back then in this culture, men would have been takers, not givers. Men are stronger, so they would go out and take in their conquests whatever it is that they wanted. They take what they want, how they want it, when they want it, and now they're being taught this by Paul, which is a revolutionary idea. Don't be a taker, be a giver. And don't just put up with this wife that you married, but I want you to love her just as Christ loved the church. He died for his bride, and I want you to do whatever it takes. I'm not asking you to die physically, but I am asking you to live a life sacrificially that would be such that you would die willingly for her. Revolutionary concept. And you're telling me I'm supposed to do this. Paul says, yes, absolutely. Then Peter comes along. Look at what Peter says. Now Peter, and it's in 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Peter had interacted with Jesus for the years of ministry that he was here on this earth and Peter would have saw how Jesus treated women totally different so so how many know a lot can be taught but more is caught 
how you see the interaction. Like you can tell me one thing, but I want to see how you interact. So you would have had Peter who watched how Jesus interacted with the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus wasn't harsh and ugly and rude with her. He was kind. He was compassionate. Not only was she a woman who had no rights, who was nothing more than a commodity, she was a Samaritan woman. She was an outcast, and Jesus didn't treat her like an outcast. He honored her, he loved her, and he blessed her life in that moment. Then you see where Jesus went and interacted with a woman caught in adultery. I always wonder where the man was. All the ladies who say, amen. No, but they brought this woman out, and so you see Peter's interaction. Now the religious, or you see Jesus' interaction. What did the religious do? Religious went out. They're ready to stone her. They're ready to kill her. Jesus kneels down and begins to write some things in the sand of which we have no idea what he writes down. But we do know this. His interaction with her was compassionate. His interaction with her was loving. His interaction with her was forgiving, saying, listen, where are your people that condemn you? They're not here. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And so they're watching this unfold. Now today, that would be like, well, of course, you know, I mean, sure, women have rights, they're equal. Back then, that would not have been normal. And we see Peter, look at what he says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. I mean, don't you think that that's common? Like, isn't it normal, isn't it common sense to treat them with respect? Back then, that would not have been common. That would have been uncommon. And then he goes on, he says, as the weaker partner. Now, ladies, don't get offended. This just means that your husband can beat you in an arm wrestling contest. He's not talking about you're not as smart, you're not as gifted. He's just saying, listen, they're stronger, and, and, and they could probably take you if you got in a fight. And this is back in the day when might made right. So the stronger person would dominate through strength, through power. So if I'm stronger, I'm going to make you obey. I'm going to make you submit. I'm going to make you do what I want. So back then, he's, listen, he's acknowledging they're a weaker vessel physically, but they, same, they have the same value equally. And so Peter's words are revolutionary to the people. And then look, he goes on, he says, and as heirs with you of this gracious gift of life. So an heir. So, so not just the boys are heirs, but the, the women are co-heirs with Christ. That he loves them, that they are equal, that they have great value, that they have great worth, that we're to love them, to honor them. They're not a commodity. They are a daughter, a daughter, a daughter of the king. Revolutionary. And so we think about that today, and sometimes we can just pass through these verses. But we've got to know that it is important for us as Christians to go back into the mentality that says, I'm God, God, I'm going to value them, I'm going to honor them. And then he goes, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. They have the gift of life. And to contextualize God's mentality, I could just see it like this, God sitting on the front porch and he's telling you and her to go out. Y'all have a great time. And when you come back, he's sitting on the porch cleaning his gun. He's got his lightning bolt saying, what'd you do with my daughter? How did you treat my princess? All the daddies, you know what, it, what it's like if you've got a, a little girl. What is your mentality? I don't know about you, but I don't want any boy to ever talk to my girl, period, ever. <laughs> Why? Because my standards are so high. I mean, I'm just convinced that I'm probably going to have a bullet in my pocket and pull it out when they, someone comes to date my daughter. I mean, at the end of the day, the value of how I feel about my little daughter, that's the way God feels, and he made the women. 
And so for us as Christian men, going back to the understanding that God's standards are higher than this world, and we must understand you cannot date like a slave owner and marry like a prince. See, you think, listen, and, and married people, we're, we're there, you got it. I mean, we, we thought if you just go dress up, get up in the tux, go to the altar and say, I do, everything would change. Like I would treat her differently, life would be differently, and it doesn't work that way. Why? Because it's not about finding the right person, it's about becoming the right person. And men, we've got to say, I am going to become the right person. And there's really two things this morning that we've got to do. The first one is this, you've got to renew your mind got to renew your mind. We've got to get God's perspective in our life on how to view and to treat women. Romans 12, 2 says to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So we've got to make a decision that we're going to renew our mind. The second thing is we've got to make up our mind to live the way God wants us to. So we've got to renew our mind, and then we've got to make up our mind. We've got to decide, make a quality decision. I'm going to treat women differently. The first one I want to talk about and take a few minutes on is renewing our mind. So let's talk about what men, what we entertain ourselves with. So here's my question. What are you listening to? What kind of music do you have on your playlist? If your music that you have, men, on your playlist refers to women as female dogs and garden tools... So it's like, oh, I get it. I get it. I was actually going to say the words today, and I was going to make more of a point, but someone said, Pastor, I think you're going to offend somebody. I don't want to offend nobody. I want you to receive it. I was going to say it, man. I was coming in saying them words. So here's the crazy thing. We did some research. Over 270 mainstream songs uh, on, the, on, on airplay right now, 210 of them degrade women. 210. So you got to make up your mind. Listen, if I have songs that refer to women like that, I'm just going to take it off of my playlist tonight. I'm not going to tolerate that kind of music on the playlist that I have. Why? Because it's a big deal. Did you know that every time in countries where genocide has taken place, every time in a society where slavery has been accepted, do you know how it begins? It begins by degrading and dehumanizing individuals, by calling them more of a commodity, something that you can get rid of. You attach labels to them that make them subhuman. We saw this in Rwanda with the Hutu and the Tutsi. The Hutu called the Tutsis cockroaches, nothing more to be stepped on, to be terminated, to be exterminated. And so we saw genocide happen. Over 800,000 of them were murdered. We saw this in Nazi Germany when Hitler had all the Germans calling Jewish people rats. And then people began to think about Jewish people as rats. They were nothing more than people to be exterminated. They were a problem. We saw that here in America with the American Indians and with slavery. Anytime those things have been accepted, we attach a label to a class of people, to individuals, and they are less than human. And so we see that coming back around in culture and we say, well, hey, listen, that's just my culture. I mean, that's just, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Can I tell you, it is a big deal, and it's a way the enemy is causing us to view women as garden tools and female dogs. And when you allow yourself to say that, you begin to believe that, and when you begin to believe that, you begin to treat them as such. 
So you cannot tolerate. Listen, guys, from here on out, today, I'm not going to tolerate that kind of music in my playlist. Someone said, well, pastor, I ain't going to have no music. That's all right. Get rid of it. Why? Because you're getting a godly perspective on women. Can I get an amen? amen. Wives are like, just give me that playlist, baby. I'm going to go through that playlist. Second question is this. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? So specifically, I'm going to talk about erotic imagery. We call it porn, but it's really erotic imagery. Years ago, if you were to tell me that I was going to have to talk to single men about not looking at pictures or images of naked women on a Sunday morning, I would have not believed you. I would have said, well, surely that, that's not the case. I mean, isn't it common sense that we as Christians don't sit around and look at naked women uh, on the Internet through pictures or any other media outlet? Surely we would know that as Christian men. We are living in a day in a society that men of all types, Christian men, single men, married men, young men, old men, they, they do not believe this. They do not believe that looking at porn is a sin. And so I have to stand before you as your pastor and say, we cannot allow ourselves to be entertained through erotic imageries. We cannot allow ourselves to call it just some pastime, something I do to pass the time, something I do when I'm lonely, something I do when I'm frustrated. We've got to say, no, I cannot do that and I cannot allow it. There is a higher standard. There is a better way. And single men, if you have not heard it before, I want to tell you right now that every single time you sit down and you look at naked pictures of women and erotic imagery, you are actually going to school. Someone said, well, what do you mean I'm going to school? You are going to school. Every time you sit down and indulge in that, you're going to school, and you are learning three very important lessons. In that school, the first lesson that you are learning is this, a real body is not enough. Let me tell you again, men. The first lesson you're learning is a real body is not enough. The second lesson that you're learning is one body is not enough. One body is not enough. And this last lesson that you're learning when you sit down and you check yourself into this school, this is something that might surprise you, but you're actually learning this, my wife's body is not enough. My wife's body, it's not enough. And all the married men that are sitting here this morning that, that have indulged and checked themselves in the school, they're thinking, oh, well, that makes sense. I get it. I didn't know that I checked myself into this school that's teaching me these lessons, that a real body's not enough, that one body's not enough, that my wife's body is not enough. Well, I've got to tell you, now you know. And porn kills. It is poison. That there is something about porn that in our lives, when we let it in, it seems harmless. Culture does, shows it on sitcoms and movies and laughs and jokes and it's funny, ha, ha, ha. And the truth is every time you embrace it, you sip poison into your life that then begins to kill real love. And Christians have been talking about this forever. And society has really said, well, you're moral. You're, you're a godly person. That's your religious beliefs. That's your values. So the reason you said that is because that's what you believe. But it's not real, real, real fact. It's not true. But did you know now researchers are saying this is actually true, that porn begins to reshape your mind as a man. It begins to build new neurological pathways that make intimacy with a real person, a real individual, the woman of your dreams. It makes it impossible. 
And so listen, single people, I got to tell you this. I got to let you know this because there are many married men sitting here this morning wishing somebody would have told them. Why? Because they got married. They thought all of a sudden what I'm going to do is I'm going to get rid of this porn. I'm going to marry this woman. She's amazing. We're going to do amazing things in bed, and it's going to be a big, great, fun time. It's going to be the greatest fantasy ever, and they realized that's not the case. They have been indulging themselves in fantasy that is not reality. And then you've got women that are heartbroken that are now in these relationships with, with the man they love. Thinking, I cannot compete with those thousands of images that are not real. I cannot compete with those videos of women that are not real. And so then you have these marriages that are dysfunctional. You have these marriages that are broken. You have these marriages that end in divorce. Single men cannot tell you. Check yourself out of that school. It's a good place to clap. <laughs> Porn is not a pastime. It's a pathway that leads to destruction. Women are not a commodity. They're to be cherished. They're to be loved. They're to be honored. They're to be respected. And so many times we can go through society and society says, hey, listen, it's okay. I, I just want you to know it's not okay. Man, listen to me. I love you. It's not okay. And I, I can just hear somebody sitting here, Pastor, that's good. That's you. That's your standards. It's not really my standard. Maybe you're a single man sitting here this morning. Can I beg you that if that's you, you say, hey, listen, you know, I'm single right now. I'm just going gonna, gonna to gorge myself on these erotic images, and it's going to be okay. And maybe you're engaged now. Maybe you're dating someone. Or when you get to that point where you find the right person, I want to challenge you to do something for me. Take them out on a nice date. Take them out to Perry's Steakhouse. Get some candles, flowers. And if you use the L word, say, I love you. I adore you. I think you're amazing. I'm so excited about our journey. And I'm excited for us to get engaged and to move forward in this relationship. But before we do that, I just want you to know, would you just sit her down and just tell her, hey, listen, I, I love you with all of my heart. You're so sweet, special, precious. But I do want you to know this. A real body will never do it for me. And just sit her down and just say, hey, but, but I love you. Hey, listen, the one, more, one more thing. One body will never do it for me. And just pause for a second. Let it soak in. And then just be bold enough to just say, hey, listen, baby, I love you, but your body will never do it for me. I mean, that's a sobering thought, right? You, so, so, so here would be my thing. If you refuse to check yourself out of that school, why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you just be honest? Why wouldn't you just tell her the truth? See, what the problem is, is then we get married. We were not honest, and now she's living with an addict. And it's because we were selfish as men, and we treated them like a commodity, not a daughter of the king. She's not yours. She doesn't belong to you. Be honest. <laughs> All right, that's enough for renewing your mind. <laughs> so here's just two things. Here's my challenge. Here's the make up your mind. All the single men, I want to challenge you. I want to make a challenge for you. I want you to set your calendar for February 19, 2018, and on your calendar, whatever you use, iCalendar, Outlook, whatever, 
say, I'm going to resume dating February 19, 2018. And I want you to take this next year and focus on becoming the right person. See, some of you have been checked into this school for so long, it's going to take a year just to purge that out of you. It's going to take a year for you to stop looking at the package and start looking at their eyes. So it'll take you a year to say, okay, I'm going to value women. I'm going to honor women. I'm going to respect women. So it'll take you a year to say, okay, I've got to learn to be kind. I've got to learn to be patient. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And I promise you this. Listen to me, single men. You're going to come back if you'll do this. And you're going to say, Pastor, that was the best year of my life. It set me up to be a man by God's standards, not the world's standards. My marriage is not going to start on the rocks. We're going to be in a solid place. We're not going to have to go through it. Why? Because you can deal with that now while you are single. And I know what's going to happen. Listen, three months in, you're going to meet the woman of your dreams. I get it. I get it. It's just how it works. But what if you said, hey, listen, it's three months in. I think you may be the one, but I need to spend this time on me and take those seven months. If she is the right person, if she's the one that God brought to you, she will be around seven months from now. And here's what I know, single people. Listen, all the single guys, you're going to be in a high demand because men that honor women, men that love women, men that respect women, they are in a high demand. You walk around this church, you'd be like, what's up? They will be beating them off of you. Why? Because that man is rare. Come on, women. You know what I'm talking about. Y'all will be fighting. He's mine. No, he's mine. I'm telling you what I'm telling you is true. Here's my last thing. I'm asking every one of you to get in a small group. Single, married, young, old, man, woman. There is a small group for you. We have almost 600 people in small groups right now. You say, well, that's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot, but it's not enough. Why? Because there's more in our church that need to get in a small group. You want to change, you need accountability. You, you Even married people, listen, every one of us, we need to be in marriage small groups. i got a men's small group that I meet with on Thursday morning. It is the best thing in the whole world. We talk about struggles and challenges and the things that we're walking through. Why? Because we need people to do life with. You were never designed to live life on an island by yourself. So you can sign up on the app. You can go to the website. You can go out in the foyer. But you got to do life with people. All the single people, y'all need to be hanging out. And I think Carrie was talking about someone posted something on Facebook. Can all the single people go out to the movies? That's great, man. It's awesome. Spend time just having fun, not trying to be intimate, just having fun. I'm going to see God raise up godly men in this church. Can I get an amen? Can we stand up for me, please, this morning? I usually I'm a little bit funnier. I know it was a little heavy this morning. I was trying to. But I know this, that God is moving in the lives of our men. So, so here's what I felt as I was praying and preparing for this, is that if I'm out there, and did you know it's not just men, did you know 40 to 50% of women now today struggle with erotic imagery? 40%. Eight out of 10 men struggle with erotic imagery. So to think that we don't have people sitting here right now that deal with this is a fallacy. And the challenge is this. As the church, we've remained silent on an issue that is killing our people. How can we do that? And that's what I love about this series. It's like, man, we're going to talk about some tough things. We're going to say it with taste. 
But I, ho- I hope this starts conversations when you go home. But, it, but if I'm sitting out here and thinking, okay, pastor, I'm dealing with these things. My, my challenge is where do I go from here? This is what I love about God. He takes the dead things and brings them to life. So we say, well, what is it? God, you, you paid the price for sin and all sin is sin, right? So you just say, God, forgive me. Everybody say, God, forgive me. Just say it again. It just feels good. God, forgive me. I repent of any sin, whether it's that, whether it's just I repent. And repentance is turning away from that which you were connected with. So I was walking down this way to this pathway. Repentance says I'm going to turn this way. It's not just asking for forgiveness. If it's just lip service, it's not repentance. Say, I'm going to change. I'm going to get in a small group. I'm going to get around people. I'm going to d- d- delete that playlist. I'm going to delete those erotic imageries. I'm going to do whatever it takes because I'm walking down this path.